0: Hello everybody, welcome to Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals, Evan Grant and David Moore. David, how was your Memorial Day weekend?
1: Oh Kevin, I couldn't be better, buddy. Thanks for asking.
0: <laughs> well I asked what I asked was how was your Memorial Day weekend? And you just said It was wonderful. Be
1: okay. And yours? That's great, man. Listen I spent mine here. I heard you were abroad.
0: Yeah, I was well, I was not abroad, but I was uh, oh, up in upstate up New York. York
1: as abroad. I'm
2: sorry, pretty close. Yeah, you
0: know, you're pretty close to that Canadian border up there.
2: Uh, well, you we, know, we, we call we consider them people foreigners down here. Well, I mean, we do we certainly do. So,
0: that was nice, you know, is that my, my brother in law has his uh field and supply, it's his uh maker's mark a market. I mean, it's, it's that sounds like. Like one of Baker's
1: the makers mark? mark market, yeah. There you go. It was. You, did they, you bring ooh, some nice. They
0: had some of that, as a matter of fact. But no, I did not bring you all any. any I didn't bring um, you all anything, as a matter of fact. Uh, when was the last time you brought us anything? It's true. Uh, bring you. I bring you my wisdom. I bring that week. Yeah, that's week that's, week that's week. what we want from you. That's uh, that I'm must used. be that
2: must be the gas. Um, I'm that floating. must be why I'm, I'm, I'm gassy.
0: Floating. I am floating this podcast with my wisdom. Bloating. Uh, you said you're bloating <laughs> this podcast. No, floating. Evan, have you got any more dad jokes you like to do?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bloating this? <laughs> Holy cow. She the book right in front of him. It's like a Skip Bayless line from 1984. Golly. Um, so, Evan, how was your Memorial Day weekend?
2: Oh, Kevin, it was great. We um, spent Saturday overseeing the installation of the new stairwells in the house. Um, and then uh, we had a lovely- You didn't install it- them yourself? You no, we did not. <laughs> we, we, we did not install them ourselves. You don't want me anywhere near anything that has to do with a tool. I want to or- say the tool
1: belt on you.
2: No, no, it's it's not a good look. You know, my father, my father came from a family of craftsmen. Um, he did not inherit that gene. Um, there was a funny story in the family that, uh, at one point in time we tried to move a sofa in our home and we had to stand it upright and, uh, the, the sofa hit the wall and it, it kind of left a little hole in the drywall there. And I needed my dad to fix it. And I asked him to take a look at it and he, he looked at it and he said, uh, yeah, it, it's a hole. And I was like, Thank you, Dad. What do we do about it? I don't know how to work with drywall here. Neither did he. You put you put a nail
1: above it and hang
2: a picture over it. It's probably what we should have done. It, it involved him going many times to Home Depot and still not fixing it. Uh, but we didn't cause any damage in the home. Um, we did have a lovely uh, evening with our daughter at uh, the Tricky Fish on Saturday, um, Natalie and Gina and I went for an early dinner and then Sunday we
1: And we are open for sponsors on this podcast, if anyone's listening. Go ahead,
2: Evan. Well, That's true. And then on on Sunday, of course, before I flew to Detroit, which is everybody's favorite Memorial Day activity, (laughs) uh, we engaged in the other traditional Memorial Day activity of shopping sales. So I went to Nordstrom Rack and picked up a couple pairs of shoes, so I felt like I made out really well. Boy, that was exciting, Evan. Thanks for that. You asked what I did on my weekend. What do you want me to say? I didn't expect you
0: to take me literally, not if you don't got anything more than that to bring. Holy cow. I'm trying to tell you about going to Upstate New York, hanging out with Kevin Bacon and Al Roker. And you, you never said that. You
1: neglected that part. Yeah, you said that, didn't that let, part.
0: You didn't let me get there. You just you guys just cut me off. Oh, first of all, let me tell you about this really funny story about this time I knocked a hole in a wall. That was my dad. How do I fix this
2: hole in the wall, Dad? Oh my gosh. It was a lot funnier when my father said it.
0: <laughs> Evan, I would have I would have guessed that you were not handy around the house. Neither am I. I am a pointer. You know, I, I point and say, yes, we need to have that fixed that's that's if you could fix that right there, that is pointing
2: really cool. is rude.
0: Well, not if you're pointing, if you're pointing at people, it's rude. Not if you're pointing at things, I hate to, to point this out to you, but that is the, that is the case. God, All right, this, let's this move along. Dad
2: podcast.
0: It is really. So, uh, so anyway, let's talk about the, the stars who are no longer in the playoffs, uh, who, who embarrassed themselves on the way out the door with, with a six to nothing loss, uh, to the Las Vegas Golden Knights at home, uh, which was two really embarrassing losses, not in a row, but two of their last three games at home were uh, humiliating. Uh, in one, you had the the captain of the team uh, commit a really flagrant uh, penalty uh, and get himself uh, suspended from the playoffs for two games, Jamie Benn. Uh, and they lost that game. We bounced back and played one, won two games in a row and got themselves back in the series. At that point, it was three to two. Then they came home and there was a lot of talk about, well, Jamie Ben will be back and this will be great. Uh, and then when they lost six to nothing, Pete DeBoer said afterwards, "Well, when you face so many elimination games in a row, it just takes too much out of your team." Which is, I wanted to say, well, then why didn't you tell that tell us that before the games and then we wouldn't have got you know all worked up about this. If you just said, "Oh, this is really don't expect too much," it's too much to be bouncing back from these elimination games, time after time. You know when the when the Knights didn't have to do that as well. So, uh, so the stars are out uh, ignominiously for a team that went to the conference finals. That's what I guess. That's what I want to ask you guys: If you make the conference finals, uh, which of course, like the Mavericks did last year, uh, is that good enough, uh, or does the ending and the way you went out? color the perception of it too much.
2: David, you want me to go first since it's been a while since the team you covered made it to the. <laughs> sure, <laughs> please. <laughs> well,
1: look who's talking have to go in the way back machine. You're going
0: back about, you're going back about six or seven years yourself, Evan.
2: Uh, so, I am. It's been a while, but, but um, it's not
1: 27, but yeah, so that's yeah. true.
2: <laughs> I, I, I I don't feel like any team that, sh- that makes a conference championship, um, whether it's conference championship or the, or the finals, uh, should be ashamed of themselves. I-, I am troubled by the Stars' performance in those last three games. I-, I don't know how you can sandwich two such really poor performances around that gutty uh, Game 5 um, performance. I, it's, it it was, that part was troubling, but I I think that, look, the older I get and maybe um, the more, uh, uh, the more disconnected I get, I just understand that winning championships is hard. And, and I think fans need to understand that too. I, I, I get the passion and everything, but winning championships is exceptionally difficult and, when you make it as far as the Stars did this year and you make it as far as the Mavericks did last year, is, is it disappointing that you didn't go all the way? Sure. But it's a season to be proud of. David?
1: Yeah, several things. One, the, the way this series ended, it reminds you that you can't afford to get down 3-0 in a series and really think you have a chance to win it. Uh, you look at NHL – Uh, only four times in NHL history has a team gone down 0-3 and come back to win a best-of-seven series. Uh, You also have that same dynamic playing out in the Eastern Conference Finals in basketball this weekend, where a Celtics team that went down 0-3 came back and tied it 3-3, and everyone's saying, wow, for the first time in NBA history, you can have a team come out and, and overcome this, and certainly Boston is favored in this game. It's at home they lose by 20, 19 or 20. So you know, it just underscores what Pete DeBoer said is true when you get to that stage and you play that long and hard. I think it's beyond the I think it's beyond the physical strain. I think it's the mental strain of having that many must-win situations and you can't escape it on your off days either, right? That's all you're thinking about. All you're thinking about after you get one to make it 3 to 1 is that okay uh, well we've got to get the next one or it's all done and the, and then and, and so each of those off days that's all you're thinking about and it just consumes so much of you um, that, that it does wear you down that's why in both sports combined you've only seen it happen three to four times so that uh, the, the other is that um, while the stars are certainly, among the four best teams in the NHL, there's a pretty big gap, right? You you look up at this series and you can say, well, you know, how can you perform that poorly in this game that matters? But did it really matter? I mean, it was a 4-2 series, but it wasn't a tightly contested 4-2 series, right? I, I don't think you can say that when a team goes up 3-0. Uh so well, had, you know, they responded, it. but i don't think it was tied i don't think the outcome of the series was ever in doubt and Now you look at the you look at it, and I believe Dallas was outscored twenty one to twelve well that's a pretty big gap. Uh, you can say well, we're only two wins from getting to uh the finals, or do you say well we you know we were nine goals from getting uh putting ourselves to have a chance to go to the finals in, in a six game series. And that's pretty dramatic.
0: Well, I think, I think the big um, loss for the stars was a couple of things. It started falling apart at the end of game two in Las Vegas, when the stars had the, the entire game in control, they were up and, then, yeah. and they were up two to one. They give up the tie and with like two and a half minutes left in the third period. And then they lose in, quickly in the overtime. So within a, within a span of about three minutes, three and a half minutes, they gave up two goals, and it's over. So instead of coming back home, you know, one-one, uh, now they're down 0-2. Uh, and, and it is a little bit of what you're talking about here. Th- throughout this series, the team that scored first almost inevitably won. I, I think they, I think it shows up more in hockey than any other sport. You get down; it's just so hard to get a goal. Uh, I, I would say that hockey. I'll say that about soccer as well. But you get down; uh, it's just it's hard to come back. Unless you're going to get six goals in a game, like uh, Las, Las Vegas did, you know Jake Ottinger uh, was up and down and all over the place in this series. I ask yeah. if 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 uh, if so many games in goal over the course of the season, I, it was in the upper seventies. I'm not sure what, what it ended up being, uh, but it was a lot, and and nobody really does that anymore. Everybody has a tandem goalie. And uh, it's a little bit like you know catching. You know, uh, you just don't catch that many games. You don't see catchers catching one hundred and thirty and forty. You know, fifty. And games everyone anymore. gave the
1: stars the decided edge and goal going into the series, right?
0: Yes, it they did. That was pretty and,
1: universal when people were analyzing the series. I don't know of anyone that gave you near know, Las Vegas the edge and goal. Well, you would because Aiden Hill's their fourth goalie,
0: right? Yeah. I mean they they, sure. they, they use exactly. they use five. Las Vegas used five goalies yes. this season. Yeah. So, so you would give them that except for the fact that you look at the games and see how they play and is that the Knights are big on on players blocking shots. You know, they had games where they were like up in the in the first period of the other day, they were up in game uh let's see. Uh when the Stars won uh, and, and got it to 3-2 uh in the first period that you know the the Knights had 20 block shots by players, not not the goalie. And the stars had five, so that's what they do. They protected their goalie. The stars didn't do a good job of protecting Ottinger. He's like I said, he's a little all over the map. He was uh, really good at times, and and really not so good. He was terrible uh, yesterday, uh, as we're taping this on Tuesday. So they they have a young team, and they and they Ottinger's young, Wyatt Johnston's young, you know, uh, Jason Robertson's young. These are the the real core of this team. Uh, has a real future. I question the leadership, though, of the, some of these older guys. I, I question the leadership of Jamie Benn after what he pulled in this series. Uh, and, and, and he's really no different from what he's always been. Uh, the players all rave about what a great leader he is. He didn't show any leadership when he didn't step up and say, hey, that's my bad on you know losing it uh, in uh, uh, game three, and I, I shouldn't have done that, and uh, – uh, I, I'm sorry for putting my team in that position. He just called it unfortunate. That's not what a that's not what a captain does, and 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 of course he didn't show up after the game uh, to take accountability for that. And then the next day, that's when he made the unfortunate comments, which were indeed unfortunate. Um, I just couldn't imagine. I made this uh, comparison. I couldn't imagine Dak Prescott pulling something in a game that was going to get him suspended. they, were, they would put the the team in such a bad position during the game, and then two games for two games after that, I couldn't imagine. First of all, the fact that Dak Prescott wouldn't show up at the press conference afterwards, uh, and and you know the the, the team's not going to let him do that, right? They're going to say you got to come out here and talk, and and Dak would do that anyway. He, he's uh, he's an accountable, stand up guy, and and I would say that about most sports in basketball, baseball, whatever. That's going to happen. It didn't happen with the stars and Jamie Ben. So uh, you know they've. Their leadership has been questioned before. We remember when Jim Lights called out uh, both uh, Jamie and Tyler Sagan and said that these guys were the leaders of the team and they're not doing their job. That was at the behest of uh, Tom Gallardi, the team's owner, who felt like the media was not holding these guys accountable. Uh, and and maybe we weren't. Uh, and then maybe that was a little bit of what I was trying to do the other day in the middle of all this mess.
1: So anyway, well, again, we'll when you look at yeah. it, I mean, he he set the tone for the loss in Game 3, which is when they had to respond because you can't go down 0-3 in a series right. for the reasons we talked about earlier. And then when he does come back, he does nothing to avert a slow start in Game 6. So not saying losing this series is on him, but it he, he's certainly a part of the reason they did not win this series. Yeah, and he had
0: great playoffs. You know, he, he, he played yep. very well in these playoffs, but the Stars were 0-4 uh, in the in the conference finals with him on the ice. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was not doing anything to help matters any.
1: So we'll now, see now, where the Stars come from power, here. I mean, we, we focused on this, and, and all this is legitimate, and they've got to talk through that and work through that because it's about once you get to this stage, you have to make difficult decisions about how you take it farther, right? But but the nucleus of what was established this year and the age of these guys, uh, the – the future really is probably, I mean, this appears to be a, this isn't a flash in the pan season. This appears to be a season and a team that can build on the success that it's had. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, Jason Robertson, you know, breaking Mike Madano's single season scoring record. Uh, Miro Heiskanen, uh, just again, uh, you know, I, I think already one of the league's better players, but seem to take uh, elevated status even more. Uh, you know, this season and in this off season. uh, they did win ten playoff games. The the core and the nucleus is there. Um, now it's just how do we keep that momentum and how do we build what we have in place and sustain it?
0: Yeah, they got to figure out what's the best thing for. Uh- uh, for Jay Gottinger at this point in my yeah. mind, you know, they, they had to figure out a balance of, of was he just worn out? Uh, was that the issue or not? I had people say, oh, no, he's in his early 20s. Then I had other people say, well, he, he, that's a lot of games in goal. So it would certainly seem like it. it is to me. Uh, if If no one else is doing this, you know, that always begs the question, should we be doing this if no one else is? Uh, and so I think the stars need to, to, to look around a little bit, but Jim Neal did a great job assembling this team and getting pieces together and adding pieces during the season. Uh, it's a, it's a certainly a a season to be commended, but not the way you want to go out. Uh, 6-0 at home. Not good. All right. That's going to do it for our, uh, hockey talk. Uh, we're going to move over now and talk about the, the Rangers, um, uh, who are continually continuing to play well. Uh, You know, Evan, I just wonder, you know, they're playing at a record pace here. Is this sustainable? And the fact is, does it need to be sustainable? Because the Astros, after all the Rangers have done in a historic start, are still just three games ahead of the Astros at this point.
2: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the Astros and, and what happens with the Astros is a good point. I, I, I think the Astros have a better bullpen than the Rangers do at this point, but I also think that a bullpen is probably more fixable than other issues that that a team may have. All I know is this, Kevin. Uh, I'm I'm just going to cite a couple of stats here uh, to sum up this Rangers start. They um uh, they've scored 334 runs in their first 53 games. We are essentially at the one third mark of the season. Tonight will mark the official one third mark of the season, and it's when you get an idea of what your team is, right? The first third of the season is about learning your team. The second third is about fixing your team. And the third third, the final third is about sprinting towards the finish. And what we found out about this team is that the offense is prolific. They've, they've scored 334 runs. They have outscored opponents by 128 runs. So when you take their run differential and their offense and look at what has happened in history with other teams in that category, There have been, in history, 15 teams that have, through 53 games, had at least 300 runs scored and at least a run differential of 120 or better. The Rangers and Tampa Bay are two of them, and clearly the rule situation has changed this year. So I think that's a little bit of the unknown because we've moved into a different era. But the other 13 all at least went to the World Series, and eight of them, or nine of them, ended up as World Series champions. So for me, what I take away from this is that this is a good team. How sustainable it is or to what level of sustainability it is, I think is still to be determined a lot by injury. But this team has also withstood some injuries, right? It's played without Corey Seeger for a month. It's gone. It's had a sub three ERA basically without Jacob Degrom in the rotation, uh, and it, it's withstood the, the loss of Mitch Garver for for more than a month. So uh, when I when I consider sustainability, I, I look at the fact that they may still get some good players back and. That bodes well. It also bodes well the fact that the Rangers are they're twelve and five this month in a, in a month in which they've spent the entire month on the road. This was going to be a a, a a burden, and they've 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 more than met that burden on the road. They now have a, a large preponderance of a home field advantage going forward into the second third the second third of the season. All the arrows point up for this team. It's hard for me to pick out something and say well, this is not going to continue. I I guess if I was doing that, I'd look at the guys who don't have track records. Um, You know, Leo Tavares is off to a great, great start. He'd be hitting second in the league if he had another 10 plate appearances. Josh Young should be the favorite for the American League Rookie of the Year. Will there be some adjustments to him made as he gets a little bit deeper in? Obviously Ezekiel Duran has just absolutely thrived and he's out for the next 10 days. But Maybe those guys regress a little bit, but I do think that you've got a good combination here of talented young players and veterans who are still in the prime of their career that allow for this team to kind of not have too many big lulls.
1: Uh, and when you talk about sustainability, too, it's let's assume those those numbers, the run differential, compresses, which is a reasonable expectation. Still you have some room. I mean, look at what their run differential is. The rule, you know, them in Tampa Bay is a great point. But again, look at the gap between them and Tampa Bay and the rest of the league in run differential at the moment, which tells you that uh, you know, I you know, Kevin, I know you'd like to talk about regressing to the mean. Well, I agree with that completely. But I think we've seen enough of this Rangers team when you go a third of the season where the mean of this team it's higher than the mean of what we've seen in the past years. And so to me, when you say regress to the mean, I don't think you're talking about where they were last year or the year before that. It's like, based off of what we've seen this year, what would a logical regression be? And that doesn't seem nearly as dramatic as, as what it would be in, in recent years.
0: Yeah, my, my my concern for the Rangers is that I, I think they're a much improved team. I, th- I thought that from day one. Uh, I was running it in spring training. So it's a different year, a different team. Uh, it just looks a lot better. Uh, everything it looks good, uh, and they and they certainly responded to that, except for the bullpen. Uh, so I think it has every reason for you to think that this could be good. I'm just looking for ways now. You, you kind of you look up from all this and look down the road, and you look at the rest of the teams in the league, and you look at the playoff situation and where they stand. I think it's a really a great sign they went in Baltimore and and took two out of three there. Uh, they continue to win series, you know, and and that that's what great teams do. You just keep winning series, uh, and and they have they have done that. They've done it on the road. They've done it at home. They they have done pretty much everything you would want them to do. Uh, I, I think that the Rangers are the. Uh, I think as time's going to go by here, and then they are working their way up. Uh, but they are one of the darlings of baseball now. It's like they're a great story to be able to come back from what they have been and what they were last year, and then this first year under Bruce Bochy uh, and with Mike Maddox back as the pitching coach. I I see things that are happening now, and and I uh, you know it makes me ask the question: How did all this happen? I mean, you you, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, and he said, "Listen." Any one of us could go out there and, and bought this rotation, right? That that didn't take any great genius to do that. So you went out and you bought yourself a rotation. But when these these guys were all had reputations and they all had track records, and, and that's all true. Uh, but Nathan Navalde is, is pitching better than he ever has. You know, John Gray is all of a sudden reaching the potential that Colorado always thought he had, but never of course it's in Colorado, I get that. It, but he was not getting there. Mike Maddox is making difference with these people, and and I think that you know we have kind of poo pooed the whole coaching thing in baseball now because of the metrics. It, it, it is a metrics thing, but will these guys really listen to it? Did the Rangers respond to it? You know, under Chris Woodward, no, they didn't. Now some of that was they didn't have the talent. Certainly in pitching, they didn't have that kind of talent. But I'm wondering if you know if this if these players if this rotation had been
2: under the previous regime. Would we have been getting these same results? And, uh, and I got to tell you, I don't think so. Well, you know, I'm trying to work on a story with Mike. And, and basically the, the idea of the story is how he prepares and gets pitchers ready for games. And and I think he is the best in baseball. And I think he's the best in baseball in, in a generation of doing that. Uh, and he spends a lot of time doing old, what, what we consider is old school prep, watching a lot of video picking up trends that his eyes tell him, and then giving out like a one-sheet, handwritten scouting report to the pitchers and the catchers so that they have an idea. And it's it's incredibly simple. And, and I said to him the other day, I was like, you know, that's one of the things that attracts me to this is, is the simplicity of it all. And he said, you know, simple takes time which is you got to be willing to put in the work and there are no shortcuts. But the other part of it for me is that when you're getting to a point where you're prepping guys for games, you don't need to be talking about your hips loading or your scapula or anything like that. It's like standing over a golf ball and thinking, where does my body need to be right now? When those guys go into a game, it's like attack with the fastball, throw your fastball here, throw your change up to this guy. Give me a scouting report that's simple so I can go out and just compete where I'm not trying to create a biomechanics lab on the mound. And I think that that is something that we maybe have ignored in the industry a little bit the last few years to try and and, and extract more velocity and more repeatable deliveries and all these things out out of pitchers. And when they go on the mound, they need to be able to compete, and they need to be able to know that their manager and their pitching coach also believe in them. And I think that that when you take all of the individual parts, and certainly there was a vision here by Chris Young. Let's not, let's not diminish that whatsoever. But I still feel like the personalities, the skills that they bring, have all meshed in an exceptional way. I, I don't think that this team – could have bargained for just how well I believe Mike Maddox and Nathan Uvalde have worked together, not just on Nathan Uvalde, but on the rest of the staff. Nate has had an impact on John Gray. He's had an impact on Andrew Heaney. It, he has made a difference with other pitchers, and it's a it, it's a great asset. The other part of that, Kevin, though, is when this team went out to go and acquire pitchers this year, it was, it was twofold. We want guys who strike guys out so that they can get out of the, their own jams on their own. And we want guys who limit walks, right? It's a, It doesn't sound like rocket science. It isn't rocket science. But it's important. It's exceptionally important. And the Rangers have flipped that script tremendously this year. They have guys who can get out of their own jams, and they're not adding to their own issues by putting free guys on base. You know, what's happened with the bullpen has been a, pro- has been a product of too many walks there and walking leadoff guys when they come into games. You're you're not seeing that kind of thing with the starting rotation.
0: No, you're not. And I don't want to diminish what I I don't want anybody to think I'm I'm saying, oh well Chris Young all he did was just, you know use Ray Davis's money to go out and buy himself a rotation. Well look, bully for that. You know, that that's great. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Put players out there. But he also went out and hired the best manager in Rangers history. You know, these were things it almost feels a little bit like and, like what Chris Young did was what a really greedy fan would do, right? Well, why don't we go out and get the best manager we can get? Why don't we go out and get the best rotation? And, it, and there was always somebody in baseball who would tell you, oh, well, you can't do that. You know, here's why. And here's why you can't do those things. Well, Chris did those things, you know, and, and they got these guys here and now and now they're performing uh, like you, you would hope they would if you right. spent and, that kind of money on it.
2: And, and fans are still complaining about, why didn't they spend money on the bullpen? And I, I've, I've tried to tell fans, look, this team had so many issues to address over the last two years, and they've invested over $800 million to do it. And they've addressed their, they, they, they prioritize their issues. And the biggest priorities were make our everyday lineup really good, make our starting rotation really good. You can't address everything. Every team has a flaw. The bullpen is fixable, and I expect that the Rangers, you know, they called up Grant Anderson, and we can get into that a little bit. Uh, I think that they will probably look at some other internal options here in the next month, but I expect that come July they're going to be active on the trade market. Acquiring relievers is, you know, it it is the – I I don't want to say easy, but relatively speaking, it is the easiest thing to do at the trade deadline. God forbid you have an issue at catcher or at first base – or in the middle infield. Those are real problems. You have to go out and get a couple of relievers. There are, there are non-contenders that have extra arms available. So what do we expect from Grant Anderson at this point? I'm not, It's not a guy that was ever on
0: my radar. Uh, so obviously they brought him up, as you alluded to uh, in your story today, that, but to the fact that he's 26 years old, a little more seasoned, maybe uh, can handle this kind of uh, promotion a little bit better.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Mark Church and Alex Spees both have better stuff, but I but I also think look, Church is twenty two, um, just went up to AAA uh, last weekend. Um, Spees was out of baseball last year; he's dealing at AA, but I think the Rangers feel like they, you know, let, let's give them just a little bit more time. Anderson has a really good slider that he has developed. Uh, he uh, he's been really effective, particularly against right-handed hitters. Um, the Rangers have, have struggled there <laughs> on the relief side, <clears throat> and so the the process of looking at internal options starts with with this guy, a guy who's a little bit more experienced, who throws strikes. I think his strikeouts per nine is sixteen uh, this season, um, and isn't walking guys. If that's been that's been the issue. And the other thing for me is, if you look back at Grant Anderson the last three weeks, he's basically been pitching multiple inning uh, outings. So, you know, the Razors, I think one thing Bruce Bochy has done a lot of is, rather than have, since he doesn't have the ability to go to a a, a pitcher for a one batter stint, he will call a guy up to, uh, to get out of an inning, pitch an inning, and then pitch the next inning. Um, and... I, I think that Anderson is in position to kind of do that based on the way he's been used lately.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to me to see how they're going to respond to all this. Cause this is certainly one of those things where, uh, you know, Chris Young is going to have to make a deal for a closer. Uh, there's not a closer on this roster. I don't believe not, not the way it's made up right now, unless there's a big about face from Jonathan Hernandez or Jose Leclerc at this point. And I just, I don't see that. I don't, you know, it seems to be mental now. And I would think as the pressure ratchets up in the pennant race, uh, as we get into August, September, October, and then into the playoffs, those things rear their ugly heads. I'd rather have somebody who had a clear head all along, uh, and put you in that position. And there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be looking for, uh, closers at the trade deadline because the, of the failure of bullpens this year. Uh, it, uh, you, you, you need to be the first one at the trough uh, in my thinking here if you're if you're going to make that kind of deal for somebody. So we'll see how uh, Chris reacts to that in response to that situation. But across the board, the team has done everything you could really want it to do. There are, as you pointed out, no team is perfect. Uh, every team has got a little something uh, going wrong for you. you. Wrote a story today about the defense and how well the infield is played. Played. Uh, Nate Lowe is still not a great first baseman. Uh, he's working on it. Uh, he's got to get better at uh, at scooping throws. There's some stats that I, that I saw they introduced one in a game where that Nate Lowe was really good at scooping balls. And I thought, I don't know where they get those stats from. I've watched Nate Lowe play. That's that's not one of his strong points. So they need to get better at that, but they're much better at third base. Uh, as you pointed out, their their double play combination has looked much better this year than it did last year in, in the first year of the p- partnering of uh, uh, Corey Seager and uh, Marcus Simeon. So a lot of good things going on with the Rangers at this point. Uh, we'll see if they can sustain this. They're going to need to to some extent because the Astros are on their heels. So we'll see how that develops.
2: I will. I just will say this, and I I think to your point, Kevin. Look, the Astros are not going anywhere, and I think you know at the beginning of the season, I still predicted the Astros were going to win the American League West, and and the Astros have more experience there. They've played together a long time. They've got Jose Altuve back. All of that, yes. They've also gone fourteen and three over their last seventeen games, um, and they're still three games back. They've picked up a game and a half. Uh, so there is there there should be a message for the Astros that if you play well, that's simply not going to be enough. You're going to need for the Rangers to slow down a little bit. Well, no question about it. If you'd gone into the season saying
0: that the, that the Rangers would be in front of the Astros at this point, uh, uh going into June, well, people would be doing backflips, right? You know, it's like, Holy cow. How great is that? Yeah. I mean, you know, even when the Astros were going bad, if you look at the ESPN's power rankings, they still had the Astros in the top five and six teams. Uh, so it shows what the the national reputation and, and it's a well deserved reputation that, that Houston has formed over the last few years. Uh, one of the more dominant teams in baseball, the Evil Empire, even what some people are saying. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it's just one of those situations where you when you, they said. It doesn't always come along when you have an opportunity to make something happen, and you got to make the most of those when you get that opportunity. And I think Com- that they are. completely
2: familiar. agreed. and and that's what the Rangers have to do. And you know I, I think there is one issue that I've had a lot of guys in baseball mention to me over the last two years is the movement of the draft to the middle of July, where it's just two weeks ahead of the trade deadline, kind of slows the trade deadline down early because so many evaluators and so many special assistants are focused on the draft right up until middle of July or the early part of July. And so teams aren't out seeing as many pro players right now as they typically have. Um, And that's a problem in developing the market a little bit.
0: And that's interesting.
2: We'll see how that develops. All right. That's going to do it for
0: our rangers segment of our podcast. We're going to move over now and talk about the Cowboys uh, and, uh, OTAs, many camps, uh, you know DeAndre Hopkins, uh, all kinds of stuff, and then what we're going to start with uh, the play calling duties that Mike McCarthy is going to assume now that Kellen Moore is uh, is working out on the West Coast. Uh, so, so David, uh, so far so good on this uh, on this development, right?
1: Yeah, you know, we'll say. I mean, this is uh, this is about getting accustomed to how. Uh, Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott both see the game. Uh, is about Dak becoming acquainted with, okay, well, McCarthy likes to call this in this situation. Um, and, and And to have true input in this, which is what McCarthy wants and what any good play caller and quarterback want to develop, the quarterback needs to know how the play caller is viewing the game. So if he doesn't like a specific call, he can say, okay, I see what you're doing here, but I think this call is better in this situation because. And you have that more than I think most people assume you do over the course of the game, even though things move so quickly. Uh, the, the the quarterback has to be comfortable with the call, but he has to understand if he doesn't like that specific call, what is the play caller trying to achieve there and give the option versus what it is. So, I'm not saying there's a lot of internal debate, but actually you have that debate now. That's what that's what OTAs and in in mini camp and I think part of training camp is about is for um, you know, Mike McCarthy and 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 Dak Prescott to really kind of vet this and get that rhythm on the best way to communicate when you're on the clock and to do it quickly and to do it as seamlessly as possible because, again, this is, you know, Kellen Moore is the only person that Dak Prescott has had in his ear for the last four years, Uh, play calling uh, over the course of the week, going through the game plan, okay, this is how we're going to approach it, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, now the rhythms different the uh, the approach is different uh, what you want to do in certain situations McCarthy's going to respond or attack differently uh, than the way Kellen Moore did so uh, it, it's it's all about becoming acquainted with that and and I thought it was uh, I thought it was funny that uh, it, it's not just the calls too uh, Dak Prescott said last week when uh, we talked to him that um, that Pittsburgh accent and that Mike McCarthy has is a little more pronounced when things are moving quickly. And so he actually made a call and he went up to the line last week and turned and he said, is this what you wanted? And it was more of an accent issue rather than it was, you know uh, what, what do you want with this play call? It was, he knew the play call. He just wondered if he heard it correctly with that Pittsburgh accent. So uh, this is where you work through all that, you know, in, in uh, OTAs and mini camp, um, they will have eight installations. That means they're installing eight different phases of their offense and defense with every practice. Uh, so each one is significant. And then you come back and, and it's repetitive in training camp once you get those installations in. So this this is kind of the ground floor. This is uh, building that rapport and uh, kind of viewing the game the same way. So everyone, when it does... When, you, when you're talking about what would work here, what wouldn't work, everyone is on the same page and looking at the same things, which is always a little bit different from one play caller to the next, right?
0: Yeah, that's the thing I wanted to uh, ask you about was that, uh, you know, we got the impression over the last couple of years that Mike McCarthy uh, went to Kellen Moore and said, Hey, how about we run the ball here? Uh, and let, let's run the ball a little more often and let's impose our will on these teams. This is what we really do well. And this is what we want to do, you know. I I always get the the impression, you know In all the years I've I've been around football, it, it always guys who were quarterbacks, g- guys who were offensive players like that. They you know offensive coordinators in general, they like to show you how smart they are. Defensive coordinators to me were always about just winning. Whatever we got to do to win, we're going to do that. It always felt like to me the offense coordinators were. Boy, I'm such a genius. Let me show you what I can do here. Let me show you all the things that our offense can unfold and how. Well, they're showing that
1: to show how creative you are, because that allows you to get a head coaching job with an offensive coordinator, right? Uh, I and think by and large, right. it's disproportionate. More offensive coordinators are elevated to head coach in this league than defensive coordinators. It is now and that's it used to be the- you can you can display some creativity if you come up with some schemes and their work that you haven't seen before or just variations of previous schemes that you bring back at the right time and they work, people go, oh, wow, they really have a feel for where offense is going. Uh, This is how you impose your will. This is what fans want to see. I want that guy in my organization. So there's a great, great uh, pressure on all these guys to be creative and to do something different and to show how. Well, and how do you show that? You show that primarily through the passing game, not with your run game. Now, who's been different? Uh, you know, San Francisco has been a little bit different with that. Uh, but by and large, creativity is shown in the passing game rather than the run game. I think the pendulum will swing there too. And, and, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, the funny thing about Mike in that to me too, is that
0: obviously in green Bay, he did not have a reputation as a guy who wanted to run the ball. Uh, you got, you got one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and Aaron Rodgers, you're, you're going to throw it. Um, and then he comes here and then the, and all of a sudden you get the feeling that well, maybe he did want to run the ball. So I, I, if, if that is the case, I commend Mike for that. Uh, I've taken my shots at him along the way here, but it, you know, a good coach adjusts to his personnel, you know, sure. if, if this is what you do well, then this is what we're going to do. We're not going to just come in here and do something because this is what I like to do, or this is how I form my reputation. We're going to do what this team does best. Um, it will be interesting to me to see how that's Is this team now. better
1: when Dak Prescott is throwing 40 times a game or throwing 28 times a game? Well, there's no question. I now, you the can make the whole that. chicken and the egg argument. Well, that means the game you have a lead and you can run more and all this. But um, you don't want Dak Prescott throwing 40 times a game. You want him throwing 25 to 28, ideally.
0: Well, I, you know, I looked up those numbers and they're not good. If he's, if yeah. he's throwing the ball over 30 times, uh, it's not good. Uh, and we've seen it,
1: enough of his career now to sh- to see that there are diminishing returns when he throws that often, correct? Right. And you can you can blame the receivers, you can blame the protection, you can go into all of this, but there's a pretty large sample size now uh, to show you that, look, in first place, I think there are very few quarterbacks you can just ride their arm, game in and game out. Uh, you know, we're talking the Mahomes, you're talking the, the, the Brady back in the, you know, but, there aren't as many as you think they are. You just talk about them more. Uh, I think there are more really, really good quarterbacks like Dak Prescott who can do that and win games for you occasionally, but I don't know that they're built to do that week in and week out, and and that's what you're doing. You're, You're striking a balance. And for where Dallas has developed defensively now, do you really want to go out and give up your defensive advantage by throwing as much, which puts you in risk of more interceptions? No, you want to play to the entire strength of your team, and that's where the running comes in here. To me, running is just kind of the fulcrum or the, or the leverage point to bring all this into balance. It's not like, oh, we're, get, we're going to start running more than we did. I think a small percentage maybe, but this just is about bringing the entire team into balance and playing into the strengths of the entire team, not just the passing offense, which, which people tend to focus on disproportionately. So Evan, uh, you're 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 Mister Georgia. Uh,
0: you've watched uh, your team win back to back national championships, and probably be the favorite to to Pete uh, this year. Um, Stetson Bennett's a really responded to the situation. He was really terrific. Uh, do you believe though that in today's NFL that uh, you can you can run the ball
2: and win? I don't think you can run the ball more than fifty percent of the time. I, I think that balance is still uh, exceptional. Um, you know, I, I think the one place where maybe the the numbers get skewed a little bit is if you've got a quarterback that can move. If you've got Mahomes or you got somebody like that who will run the ball on his own a little bit, then the numbers can get skewed a little bit more towards towards carries. Right? It's not a handoff, but it's a, it's still a run. Um, but no, this NFL now is built on being able to get the ball out in space and, and let your guys kind of you know move down the field. Um and I I think look, I think Stetson did a lot of that at Georgia. He he did scramble better than I think people gave him credit for. And the idea was get the ball. Yes, they had a great running game, but they also got the ball out to two exceptional tight ends and they and they had some really good down downfield threats. And I guess what I'm getting at, Kevin, is the best offenses are going to be multidimensional and they're going to keep defenses off balance. It's it's just that simple. Um, There's no magic for me. There's no magic formula. It's trying to involve all elements of your offensive uh, skill positions into trying to create as much unpredictability for the defense as you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but that goes back to the old thing with uh, with Dak, and we've talked about this many times. Uh, about he, he is going to have to uh, get out and get in space a little more and take off a little more than than uh, than what he has in recent years, and and he has done that at times, uh, but not enough. I, I'd really rather count on his feet more than his arm. Uh, I, I you know he he has a lot to prove this year, I, I think, uh, and and you know we there. We've talked about. Uh, you know, whether uh, the Cowboys, they're going to extend his contract. Uh, How much that means as as part of a raise is another question. Uh, You know, when we all went crazy about the fact that he was going to be making $40 million a year, and now it's kind of like, eh, big deal, making $40 million. You got guys making 50 and 55. I mean, uh, it's it's a a different kind of game now. But I want to kind of segue from that to what we want to talk about now, and that was a lot of talk After the Cardinals released DeAndre Hopkins, uh, by some estimations, uh, a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Um, I I don't think if you look back at his numbers with St. Louis the last three years, they weren't great. Uh, Certainly from a touchdown standpoint, I think, what, David, did he have 15 touchdown catches in the last three years combined?
1: Something like that. We've had injury over the last two, two and a half seasons that have cut into his production. Yeah. Uh, and, and we saw Arizona, you know, Kyler Murray's a little up and down here uh, of late and, and was hurt for a while. So uh, th- I think there were several factors in play, but, but he's still, he's an outstanding receiver. Uh, is he who he was when he was at his prime and his peak? No, but he's still one of the better receivers in the league would you know he was he was uh just dropped on the free agent market uh on the holiday weekend on friday they just released him after uh being unable to to broker a deal uh so he's available for any team cowboys included Uh, a lot of cowboys fans were like well certainly you go after this guy uh would he make this receiving core better unquestionably that there is no doubt about that but For what you have to pay him for the money you already have at the position and the money you're going to have to pay going forward, is this going to happen? No. I mean, you have, let's take it out of the position for just a second. Um, What do you have to do financially in the coming year, year and a half? You have to re-sign C.D. Lamb. You have to re-sign Trayvon Diggs. You have to re-sign Micah Parsons. And you're going to redo Dak Prescott's contract. Uh, Those are your four financial priorities at this point over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, So you have to have the flexibility to do that. Now you can go back. Well, are you saying if you give Hopkins money now, then you can't do any of those? No, you can still do them, but one, it's a lot harder. Two, you're going to have to cut some other players you don't really want to cut either. And you're going to leave yourself thin in other positions. Now, let's look at it strictly from the wide receiver position. You're about to pay C.D. Lamb big money. He's going to go over 20000 a year in a contract, uh, coming off his rookie contract to, to lock him down. Uh, Gallup's in the second year of a deal, a uh, very good deal that paid him right around $70 million. Um and you just got Brandon Cooks in. Now, if you hadn't gotten Brandon Cooks, traded for Brandon Cooks in March and got him at such a reasonable number, I think Dallas would have seriously explored going after Hopkins now on the free agent market. But you got Cooks for basically he's on the books for, you know, under 4 million this year. Now you're going to pay Hopkins 15 million to work him in, and now that you have Cooks, who is your second receiver, Hopkins would be arguably your two A or your three receiver. How much is that worth when you're looking at your payroll? So it just doesn't it just doesn't match up. He makes more sense for some other teams than he does Dallas right now.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't question any of that. I he's terrific, and and I would make the argument that I would rather have DeAndre Hopkins and Brandon Cooks simply because sure. uh, because uh, I, I believe that you know, for for everything that C D Lamb brings, he's not a he's not a tough receiver. You know, he's not a guy that's gonna be, you know, he doesn't really outfight people for the ball that much. He's not breaking tackle. DeAndre Hopkins is a monster out there. You know, yeah. he, he's the kind of guy that this is exactly the kind of receiver to me that, that Dak needs. But the point is just what you said, but you already got Brandon Cooks who's pretty good. You know, he, he does something different. He stretches the field. And we'll see if 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 Dak's able to take advantage of that. There have been times over the last couple of years, he's been much better throwing the ball down the field. Uh, we'll see it, if that makes a difference with him and what he's able to do. And you know, it's always a great thing just to have a guy who's stretching the field, right? I mean, of sure. the Cow- i mean, Michael Gallup has done that for the Cowboys a little bit at times, uh, but not on a consistent basis. Uh, that just makes now you have two better. guys
1: who can do it in Cooks and Gallup. So I yeah, think absolutely. that's going to. And now you have three really good tight ends who can operate underneath. So I think. Uh, uh the, the, while in some ways it's subtle, the difference in this offense from this year to last year, I, I think it's going to fit much better for them and how they want to attack defenses. And, and, it's more, and, and it's better over the course of the game and fewer risks uh, than we saw Dak take in this last, uh, last year. Yeah, I don't think
0: there's any question about that. We don't we don't like to see Dak in that kind of situation where he's taking risks. I I don't always believe in his decision-making ability when it comes to the risk reward factor. Uh of him thinking that I can I can fit this throw, I can make this happen. I I don't believe in his ability to do that. Uh, uh, not all the time. Uh and and just what you said, it only takes a few mistakes to really throw a game uh haywire. You know, you, you, you don't really want to be doing that. And I, and I do think that the more things they can do to kind of make this attack a little bit more like San Francisco's uh, in which they don't ask too much of the quarterback, they're going to, we're going to be very physical. We're going to impose our will. And this is after all football, right? Uh, that is one of the things you want to do. And in the playoffs, it's worked very well for the 49ers. Now they've run into a wall, uh, but uh, each, each year in the playoffs, but, uh, I, I think that uh, Dak is a better quarterback than what they've ha- what they've been putting out there sure. for the last few years. And so uh, I think if if the 49ers ever get to that point where they have a, a quarterback who could do those kind of things for them, and they may have that now, uh, we'll see what they do going forward. And now, what is, is one anything criticism
1: else? of the Cowboys through all these years, been? It's like, well, you spend an inordinate amount on the skill positions and it leaves you, leaves you short defensively in, in some other areas. This is the most – well balanced team they've had in a long, long time. And they're spending more on the defensive side of the ball. So you're not going to spend as much on the skill positions. And having said all of that, when Minnesota drops Dalvin Cook on the free agent market, the running back in a couple of days here, we're going to have the same groundswell about, well, God, go out and sign Dalvin Cook. Now, based on what we've seen running backs sign for, that's a, I, I would say that's one you should explore even more and has more traction than than Hopkins
0: a lot easier to, to, to get those now it is amazing to see the the salary for wide receivers in the last few years I would oh, never yeah. have predicted this would have happened you know because I've always felt like you could find wide receivers in the draft you can find them in different places and why are we paying that was why I didn't have a huge problem with the Amari Cooper thing I just felt like that you know with C.D. Lamb he, yep. he's your number one you know I wasn't sure that Amari was really into the to that whole thing he wanted to think that he was the the alpha dog and not CD temperamentally
1: was he the number 1 that was always the yes. question i think with Amari.
0: yeah and so, th- so to me those were always questions that, and and so i you know it's funny to see uh, how one position has fallen so far on offense the other one has risen so high and uh and i don't really think that it's justified Exactly. Either way, uh, I, I think running backs are a little more valuable than what they're what they're showing, and we'll see what happens with Dalvin Cook is a great example. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, our podcast this week. We thank everybody for coming in. We'll be back next week to talk a little bit more, maybe talk a little bit about golf and what's going on with the local tournaments here at Colonial and also at the Byron Nelson, if that's what we're going to still call it. Uh, so, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.